When you are a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Cybercriminals continue to succeed in discovering flaws and weaknesses in every connected technology, from SQL injection to zero days. What average people see as technology designed to perform a specific task, they see as a door, a window, or even a simple crack through which they can gain access. So what makes the criminal mind so good at thinking outside the box like that? And more importantly, how can we develop these skills inside security professionals, senior managers, and everyday people? This is the Security Sessions podcast brought to you by Talus and hosted by me, Steve Prentice. Today, it is my pleasure to sit down with Amanda Widowson, Head of Human Factors Capability at Talus UK, and Freaky Clown, the co-CEO and co-founder and Head of Ethical Hacking at Sygenta. So welcome to you both. Thank you very much, Steve. Hi, hi. Well, first of all, Amanda, let me start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Talus? I think you and I share a little bit of a professional background in the human factors of people in technology. Indeed, yeah. So um, I work in human factors. So for people that might not be aware, um, that's really about, um, you know, it's based on psychology and physiology. And it, it uses that understanding of human mental and physical strengths and limitations to design equipment, systems, organizations around the people themselves. Um, what I did uh, is I identified uh, a way of human factors helping cybersecurity. I could see, I could hear cybersecurity professionals using terms like uh, socio-technical and, and a human error. And I thought, well, you know, we know a lot about that in human factors. So I, I created an approach to look at the human element in cybersecurity based on my human factors knowledge. It's remarkable that we have to spend so much time looking into that. But of course, it is very necessary. And FC, you are well known in the cybersecurity community. Of course, your exploits as a physical pen tester are legendary. What else would you like people to know about you? Um, that I've just moved with my wife to Las Vegas. Um, she is the other co-founder of Sargenta and is also into the human factors. She's an you know, award winner at that. Um, so I know a fair bit about this through osmosis by sitting next to her for all these years. Um, but we've just moved here. It's lovely um, and really enjoying America. Well, welcome. and Thank you both. Our topic, again, is about people and human factors in the area of data security. We're seeing this all the time to this day. Whatever day people are listening to this podcast episode, there will be a story going on about some way, somehow, highly organized criminals and even less organized criminals are finding ways to break in and do things just because they can. So I'd like to start by asking you both to describe what you see as one of the greatest examples of this hammer and nail concept, where you're seeing maybe threat actors taking advantage of something and causing havoc. What examples come to mind? Amanda, can I start with you? For me, I think one that, that I like that sticks in my mind was um, an attack on uh, two banking organizations in the UK back in 2013. And it was where um, criminals, cyber criminals, uh, walked into high street branches and they pretended to be IT personnel. And the banking staff allowed them access to the bank's computers and they installed uh, a KVM switch, which basically allowed them to access the 
computing the, the, the security data um, remotely. So they were able to access all this financial information, customer information, customer banking information, and stole a lot of money. Uh, I heard one report, 1.25 billion. Um, but what I think was was interesting was this didn't just happen in one branch. It happened in multiple branches and multiple or, or, or different organizations. So I don't think we can really blame those banking staff. And it illustrates that it doesn't matter how great your technical cybersecurity controls are if humans can do that. So for me, it really illustrates that you need to consider that, that human element and those human factors as part of uh, cybersecurity. Um, in that case, the, you know, most of the money was recovered, the gang was caught, um, but it could have been prevented perhaps by organizational fixes, by giving the, uh, giving the employees, I guess, training in terms of the, the threats, but, but also um, visitor management policy. So making sure that genuine IT personnel were booked in in advance and that they wore the right kind of IT and that you know, the staff um, felt you know, it was really obvious that they were genuine um, personnel. I've got a great story to go along with that, Amanda. Um, so this is what I do for a living, right? I physically break into places legally, obviously, um, and we've done exactly the same sort of assessments on loads of high street banks. There was one time many years ago I was tasked with breaking into high street banks across the country in England. Um, we were doing uh, about eight banks a week um, we had to break into, and it was a very similar thing. We would break into the bank and convince the staff to let us behind the desks to install key loggers and all sorts of fancy devices. And it turned out by the, by the end of the week, um, basically the bank had said, look, this is always going to work because of the way you're doing it. So for the next set of banks, can you do a completely separate, different approach to every time that you do it? So each bank, I was sitting at my hotel the night before, planning how I was going to break into the next bank go in, do it. We did all of them. And the only time it ever got caught was when an insider to the uh, assessment actually told the bank that they were going to have this test against them in the morning. They ended up calling the police. Uh, armed guards like showed up. It was uh, an absolute uh, mockery of what we were trying to do. But it is so easy to do. People don't realize how easy it is to break into a bank. And it is generally you just walk in. That's it. I mean, all of us could walk into a high street bank, couldn't we? It, it, it's, you know, it's easy enough to do. And, and I guess, um, you know, we like to trust people. And, and I'm sure these criminals came across, you know, they're very nice and very personable. And, and um, you, know, we, you know, I can imagine the banking staff probably felt a bit, a bit awkward and didn't want to question them. You know, it's that social compliance, you know, that, and, and the fact that every, you know, nobody did anything, then everybody maybe allowed it to happen, you know, what we call um, diffusion of responsibility in, in, you know, psychological terms. Yeah. Yes, you've got that trust element. You've got that awkwardness element, not wanting to be difficult. And also, I think probably thirdly is when somebody looks like they really know what they're doing and that they should be there. They're just walking in confidently. The credibility comes in as well. It's interesting to see that you pointed out that the one time that it failed is when they were primed, when they were told in advance that this was going to happen. So we're seeing here a specific division between proactivity and reactivity, right? In terms of the proactive elements of you pretending to be the bank robber versus the reactive nature of good people just doing their jobs and perhaps even being afraid of making waves. 
If you challenge a customer and say, you know, can you prove who you are? Yeah, you might get into trouble with your manager for upsetting that customer. So those are great examples of literally walking into a bank. And of course, in this day and age, you can either walk into it literally, or of course, you can move into it, not necessarily through hacking into the fortified technologies, but of course, through social engineering and deepfakes and all the other ways to generate that same sense of trust and credibility through the social elements of a network of the people on the network. So in that regard, do you think that the most profound weaknesses of any organization's defenses, not just in financial, but any sector really, uh, is technology or people? Which is the most obvious weakness that we should be focusing more on? More technology, more proactive technology, or dealing with people themselves? Okay, so I think of security in any company or any organization is made up of three areas, right? You have the physical side, you have the uh, digital side, and you have the human side, right? Those three silos of security that we deal with, right? Now, which one of those is more weak? Well, they're all weak at some point, right? Everyone always focuses on just one of them. And the reason we started Sygenta was because we had expertise in those three areas and we wanted clients to have all of that expertise in one company, right? So they're not just going for a digital pen test or a physical assessment or human factors assessment. They come to us and they get all three because if you do not have all three or if you have even one of those that is slightly weaker, you don't have security, simple ads, right? Because many, many times I've worked with clients that have, you know, they spent six, seven figures on digital security. I've walked in and I've literally picked up their computers and walked out, right? It completely circumvents everything. And the same goes the other way. They got great digital security, uh, physical security, but they have poor digital security, for example. So I don't think there's one particular one that is weaker than the other. It's just where they're spending money, where they're putting focus, maybe isn't helpful for the other silos. Yeah, good answer, I think. I mean, we, we you know, I would hate to, you know, it just goes against the grain as a human factor professional to put the blame on people. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, we and we do need to consider human um, vulnerabilities, I think. But um, a lot of them can be fixed by organizational um, issues. And we also need to consider those human strengths. You know, humans can be a defense. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Um, we've, we, people are arguably more flexible than technology. We have better situational awareness. We can read a situation um, better than a machine can at the moment, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I think we need to consider those strengths. And that those unsung heroes that sit in the operational centers and constantly um, look out for us. I mean, we are constantly under attack, you know, organizations like mine, constantly under attack. Um, and yet we have people that, um, you know, don't necessarily shout about what they're doing, but they, um, they are constantly monitoring and defending against those attacks. So I think we need to um, remember that humans can be a strength as well as a weakness. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many, you know, I, I used to work as a sysadmin and, you know, IT security is always seen as a drain rather than, a, you know, sort of bringing in money. No one understands how much a company is getting attacked until you work on that, that front line. And everything's great when it's working and you stop everything. It's when you, when you let something through, that's when people suddenly start to notice that you've done your job wrong. They never notice that you've been doing your job right for all of those years before. 
What about, I mean, we're looking to not sort of place the blame on, let's say, individual employees, but sometimes it's a matter of time. I mean, you think about phishing, which is still such a successful way of getting into an organization just by simply sending an email that has an attachment to it. And people just don't have the time to stop and think critically. You know, is this email really from who it says it is? Or is there a spelling difference in the actual from address? Is it spoofed? How much of this can be put onto the shoulders of management, perhaps, who, who are not allowing their people the time to stop and think critically uh, due to the pressure of work, let's say, getting through another 10 or 15 emails after each meeting? Does this become the weak point? You know, Is there an opportunity for us to not shift the blame, but shift the opportunity for improving by giving employees more time to stop and think critically about this perpetually successful technique of simply phishing or social engineering? First of all, that, that's not a human failure. Phishing is not a human failure. It is a technology failure. Because if, if your organization can be taken down by someone clicking a link, which is their day-to-day job, this is what, what the, uh, yeah, the invention of the World Wide Web was for, right? Click a link, go to another page. That's the basics of it. If your organization is taken down by someone in your organization clicking a link, then you've got technology problems. You've got a segmentation problem. There is nothing that should be allowed to happen because a human clicked on a link. It's not a human failure at all. That's an excellent observation, yes. I mean, they're so hard to, to spot. And, and, you know, especially the targeted phishing emails um, where, you know, it relies on... Um, maybe the human context-based bias as well. So, you know, if I'd just been to a, a conference and got my, you know, someone's got my email from the attendees list, um, they'll know that I have an interest in the topic of that conference and they could send me something, you know, that they're saying is a, a paper that I might be interested in. You know, please see attachment, you know, and, and it, it sounds really genuine. I mean, that would really happen in a legitimate way. So it does make it difficult for people to spot emails. And, and like you said, Steve, we're doing it in a hurry. We get so many emails. Um, we're not always paying full attention um, to that. Yeah. Yeah, but we, we shouldn't need to. There should be technology. We've got the technology now to stop most of these attacks. And yeah, if you do a phishing simulation uh, on any organization, and we've done many in the past, um, you always get at least yeah, one percent of the population of your organization clicking that link, right? You can never get it to zero ever. I've never known any company not to click a link, right? Because you can always manipulate people to to click on a link, right? Because it, that's what they're there for. It's the technology behind it that fails, I think. Yeah, we've probably all experienced phishing stings where the IT department sends around that fake phishing email. There was a famous web hosting company a couple of years ago that got into real trouble because they did that around the holiday season and people thought that it was cruel and unusual punishment to punish people for clicking on a link. So certainly if this is not the right way and there's another technical solution that has not been fully exploited yet, then that's a great potential solution for this classic perpetual problem. Now to be fair, because we know we're all victims of this, it's a lot easier for bad actors to find something and try to destroy it rather than build something strong as we are trying to do, right? I mean, we can spend decades building up in an organization and the bad actors just simply have to come along and look for something, that one single crack to break it down. If the things were reversed and they had to build something, then they would have the mistakes in what they do as well. So, 
Is there any way we can leverage that? The fact that they are looking to break something that has already been built while we're looking to build something that can't be broken. We've got the three different components, as you mentioned before, but you know, can we absorb some of that creative energy that the bad actors tend to just have in droves to build out more proactivity in design? Or is that again a political and financial impossibility or just simply a physical impossibility? Well, for me, that's my entire job. That's what I do. I break into places and tell them, okay, these are the issues. This is how you fix it. So go away and do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we can, in a way, leverage that thought process that hackers have and start to proactively build things that are more secure. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting that with most projects, when they're being built, security is always at the end. Right. It's like get get the product done, get everything built, and then we'll test it. Actually, we find that the earlier you bring security into that picture, A, it's much cheaper than to go back and fix it all again. And B, it gives you a sense of where you're going and what you're doing insecurely as you're building it. So I think uh, as a, a great friend of mine, Tanya Yanka, says, push left, right? Just keep pushing the security left into the development process. And Amanda, would you say that also we should perhaps push it upwards towards the C-suite and to the boards of directors? Are you seeing, for example, more increased sophistication and comfort with cybersecurity concerns at the senior levels already? Or is it still, as I have seen in numerous reports, something that just may be addressed once a year because it still seems to be too much of an IT issue to be of concern to those who steer the ship? Well, it probably depends on the company, doesn't it? But I, I, I think that more people are... Um, aware of cybersecurity, I'm wondering how, how much do they know how to fix it, you know, unless you're actually in the business yourself. Um, do they really know what they need to do? Um, do, do CEOs and the C-suite, you know, are they getting the right information? Um, is the CISO, you know, high enough in the organization? Um, but I think ultimately, Every employee, everyone in the organization ideally needs to take ownership of cybersecurity. And I, I have seen in my experience where, um, if you like, overtrust in the, the um, information security team. So individuals will say, oh, well, um, you know, those guys know what they're doing. They'll, they'll protect me um, from, you know, from cyber attack and from those nasty criminals. Um, but, you know, yes, hopefully they will. But it's it's not a matter of dismissing it. I think we all need to be aware. So, so have uh, creating an understanding for employees of the threats, the real threats, um, and, and and what those guys have to deal with, and how what they do and their actions can fit in, and how they can help um, defend against cybersecurity is is all good as well. I, th I think a great analogy there is is probably driving a car, right? Like. You expect the government to provide infrastructure and rules and laws around driving, but we don't expect people with no ability to just get in a car and drive, right? We have to give them some sort of basic training. Now, they don't have to have the full training. They don't have to be a professional stuntman um, yeah, or stunt person to, to do flips and whatnot in a car. They just have to have some basics, and I think that's where we need to get to with cybersecurity. It's like, have an understanding of the basics at least so that you don't do something absolutely terribly wrong, but you don't have to be a cybersecurity expert in order to do your job. Yeah, I think having real examples 
iPhone worked. So we, we found um, when we had um, criminals uh, kind of tailgate broke into one of our sites, um, security comms at the time um, advised people that this had happened. And then we saw um, an increase in good cybersecurity behaviors. People weren't allowing tailgating. They were questioning because nobody wanted to be the cause of an incident and they believed this incident could happen because it just had and they were told about it. So I think it made them real. It made it real for them. Um, so using those kind of real world examples that are relevant to those people. So it's not, you know, they don't just think it's something that happens to somebody else or somebody else will deal with it. We are recording this podcast in the spring of 2023, and we have just come out of two years or more of people working from home in their very insecure offices in their homes with their insecure routers connected through the internet back to their employers. And now we're looking at the rise of ChatGPT as the new world-changing technology. I know it's been around for more than a couple of months, obviously, but the world has suddenly noticed that it exists. And just very recently, some of the biggest players and the biggest companies were calling for a pause in chat GPT development because it's running too quickly and there's not enough control over it. Now, coming back to our hammer and nail theme, just recently, an example, a company had its trade secrets released out on the web because one of its employees had asked chat GPT how they could build their product better. And that just ran away. It's like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the brooms in the Disney Fantasia movie, the 1940s version. The clip is available on YouTube, naturally. Uh, It's this hammer and nail thing. You know, it doesn't make sense for an organization to say, hey, let's pause. Let's pause this new fast-rising technology to assess where we're going with it. Or does that simply again lead to much more danger since the bad actors who are not going to pause will continue to exploit it regardless? So is this just another classic example of the same kind of thing being repeated, the same mistake being repeated? I don't think we can pretend it's not happening. I think we just have to address it. You know, we, how can we stop it, um, you know, individuals? So we've, we've just got to uh, acknowledge and, and deal. Yes, so we can't ignore it. It's ridiculous Um, to to ask a whole industry to pause whilst the bad actors are not going to. They're not going to be like, oh, okay, how we'll give you six months head start on this. Like they're going to they're going to be using it for bad stuff already. Um, Yeah, I think that's a ridiculous notion to assume that people will, will not use it. What we could do, though, is if your organization is worried about stuff like that, is just block access to it from your organization laptops or desktops. Just don't allow people to use it. And then you can worry about it later. But what if I was tempted as an employee to say, okay, you block my access to my company laptop, I'll just do it on my phone and still, you know, beat a path over that fence because of my innocent desire just to get ahead and get my work done. Again, that is a segmentation issue. Right? You, you should not be allowing your employees to get, take data from within your protected environment and put it onto a personal mobile phone there is a control mechanism there for that so therefore that shouldn't be an issue these are the hidden shadow parts that management tends to sort of forget or overlook in terms of that kind of segmentation that it's very confusing very fast moving world and people do have great trouble keeping pace with it so as a final question that's what i'd like to ask you we've already identified a number of great techniques already but What would both of you recommend that companies and organizations do beyond purchasing cybersecurity services, uh, both technologies and pen testers and other specialists like FC? What could they do overall to make themselves and us as consumers safer, not just with the existing threats we know, but as a general kind of mindset of preparedness? How can we become the hammer in this situation rather than the nail? 
So number one for me, I think, if I would do one thing, it would be design those security procedures around the people that have got to use them because otherwise they're going to find workarounds. Um, and it, it's not usually malicious. They're just trying to find the easiest way of doing their job. But um, I think it's working with them. So if, you, um, if your cybersecurity procedures are too strict and locked down too much so that people can't do their jobs the way they need to, then they'll, they'll maybe bypass it in an unsafe way. So it's maybe about anticipating what they need. And then you've got some control over designing the, those um, controls, those protections um, from a cybersecurity point of view. But I think there's lots we can do at an organizational level um, to um, protect people. There's the technology aspects that I think FC was talking about before. Um, you know, we can we can look at the the culture. We can share incidents. So when when we have been attacked, um, being more open about the fact we were attacked and lessons learned from that. Uh, it can be quite hard to find information about an attack and you know and, and how it was done and and. Uh, and I, I think we could be sharing some generic vulnerabilities and some lessons learned um, when when people have been attacked and sharing it amongst employees, but also amongst, you know, across organizations as well. So we can learn from each other. I think those are some really important things to do. I think also some organizations I've seen that have done well of where they provided really good emotional support mechanisms for their employees and had a good ethical kind of review policy are our policies um socially you know conscious um you know because those are the sorts of uh reasons where somebody might turn against an organization from within if they disagree with a management policy uh on ethical reasons for example moral reasons um and and i think you know especially in the in the company we've got here i think protecting our physical environment as well so um with um I would say things, if we can have that technology like turnstiles, if, if we can, to protect entry uh, points and maybe intermittent security presence on those points because we have got that vulnerability where people could tailgate in and employees are a bit too embarrassed to ask to see someone's credentials. So putting the onus on, on maybe an intermittent security um, presence can help as, as well. Um, making sure that people are badged up and that, that is that is the culture that people will wear ID and that it's visible so people can easily see who's meant to be there and who isn't. Um, and, and training people in the, the vulnerabilities, the threats that are relevant to them, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's brilliant. I think um, I think I have a story based on basically every single one of those points. So absolutely, Amanda, I agree with all of that. Um, one thing, if you're going to do the um, the really locking down of uh, administrative rights or access controls, is one thing it, that I've seen in a couple of co companies that have done this is make sure you audit those. Make sure you check those are still relevant every year. Right, because there's one, the one client I have. Um, they they had this system where you could only have access for what the job is that you're doing, which was brilliant. Except when that person moved role, they just got additional uh, things for that job. They never took away the old ones. And so after 12 years of being there, they had full rights across the entire company because they'd done so many roles. Um, so make sure you audit those um, those access controls. Um, but yeah, I, I think Amanda hit basically all, all of the right points there. You know, if you're doing uh, physical security correctly, if you're doing digital security correctly, if you're 
if you're not punishing humans for doing their job, um, you know, I'm going to steal something from my wife here, which is don't focus on how many people are, are sort of clicking on the link in your phishing reports. It's how quickly do they report it? Right, because that's the important thing is being quicker at reporting these things, these incidents, allows your IT and your security team to jump on them much quicker rather than spending two or three days worrying about it. Like, am I going to get fired? Am I going to get punished for this? It's like, no, I'll, I've reported it, so I'm going to get actually rewarded for letting everyone know that there could be a potential incident. Actually, a no-blame culture, isn't it? People need to feel that they can report and they need to know how to report and, and not have to think, oh, how do I, what's that email address I was meant to send it to again? You know, making it really easy and really obvious for them to report incidents as well. Yeah, take, take away the friction of security because security is always seen as a blocker and it's not. It should be there as an enabler. Another great analogy that I, I love to use is brakes on a car may sound like they stop the vehicle, but it allows you to go faster in a car than you would if a car didn't have any brakes. Yeah, that's very true. You see the same thing actually in professional sports like American football and hockey. People are wearing more and more protective gear, but that has made the game more dangerous because they play faster and more forcefully than ever before for those same reasons. Truly excellent observations, Amanda and FC, showing how these issues intertwine with each other and giving us an opportunity, perhaps, to have a fighting chance against the continual creativity of bad actors and the environment in which we're working. So we've come to the end of our time together on this discussion, even though it's going to be a permanent concern for people. And I think your sage wisdom and advice will be of great use to everybody. So I'd like to thank you both so much for being here today. Amanda Widowson, Head of Human Factors Capability at Talus UK and Freaky Clown, co-CEO and co-founder and Head of Ethical Hacking at Sygenta. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having us. Oh, and one more thing, FC, I hear that you have a book coming out. I do. So if you want to hear about how the first time I got asked to kidnap someone, or the first time I got asked to steal a helicopter, or even steal some gold bars and break into thousands of banks. My new book, How I Rob Banks, will be coming out soon, published by Wiley. I will definitely be ordering one as soon as we are done here. Not only is it such an interesting topic, but as we said in this podcast today, people learn from stories so much more effectively, I think, than from theory. So just the sheer enjoyment of hearing that if you're going to steal a helicopter, make sure that the helicopter is there to steal, and that kind of thing. It needs to be heard. People will extrapolate their knowledge from that. So an enormously enjoyable conversation with both of you. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks very much, Steve. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend or a colleague or a client or all of them about the Talus Security Sessions podcast. We will be back soon with another episode and another discussion on topics that you need to know about to successfully carry on in the business of information security. So until then, I'm Steve Prentice. Thanks for listening.